Great to see you. My name is Johnny. I'm one of the uh, pastors of the church here, along with, uh, with Johnny, who is just up here, uh, and Toby. And uh, we, we sung together, um, if you're here at the beginning, we sung Blessed, Blessed Be Your Name together, didn't we? And, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a catchy tune, isn't it? And, uh, but if you think about actually what we sung, the words are quite profound. God, blessed be your name when I'm in the desert. God, blessed be your name through the wilderness. God, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when life's all as it should be. It's a really easy song to sing along to, catch your tune, all the rest, come to church, you sing that kind of thing, but it's not quite so easy to live that kind of stuff out, is it? How do you respond when life is really tough? And how do you respond when life is really good? Blessing God's name? Perhaps sometimes on your better days and in your better moments. Now we're going to learn from from Zechariah today what it looks like to honour God when we're in a difficult place and also in a good place. What is it like to honour God and live for Christ in that? Zechariah, who, who this uh, reading in, 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 the gospel, in, in Luke's gospel is about, please keep, keep that open, what Mercy just read to us. Zechariah is, um, is Jesus' uncle, basically. Uh, and he had, uh, we saw a few weeks ago, an encounter with an angel Gabriel at the temple in Jerusalem. He has promised his own miraculous son, who is going to be called John. And we know him as John the Baptist. And we're picking up Zechariah's story again and following on from that. And uh, a little bit like we saw last week with Mary and Elizabeth, Zechariah here breaks out into song. In fact, the beginning of Luke's gospel is basically a musical. Everyone's singing their lines rather than saying them. And it's just kind of one song after the other. It will continue next week as well. And, uh, and what we see as Zechariah breaks out into song is we see what God does in a time of waiting. And then we see what we are to do in a time of celebration. What God does in our time of waiting and what we are to do in a time of celebration. Because sometimes, it's true, isn't it, that it feels like in life nothing is happening and nothing is going on. Maybe you, you know, you're going through the motions of daily life, so life kind of continues as normal, but it feels like your life is just stored in some way on the road. And you're waiting, you're hoping for something big and new to happen, whether it's a new job or it's a recovery from, from a long-term illness, or you're hoping for a new relationship, or, or, or the blessing of, of children, or, or healing in a battle with mental health, or, or financial security, or uh, ministry you're involved in to bear fruit, or progress in a battle with sin, whatever it is, it just feels like right now you're waiting for something to happen, and it's, you're stored, and you're standing still. Nothing seems to be happening. And you might think, well, it feels like God's taken a nap on me. Or, or maybe God's busy over there blessing that person, but he doesn't seem to be very pleasant, present in my life. He's not speaking to me. I don't see any growth. Maybe I just see my heart hardening and I have unresolved questions. And I'm waiting for something to change and I don't like it. How do you respond when life feels like that? What do you do then? We tend to think, don't we, that God's most powerfully at work when we are at work. When I'm being active, when I'm getting out there, when I'm busy, when I'm making progress, that's the measure that God is also therefore at work in and through me. And you know what? In his grace, God often is pleased to bless us in our efforts by his power and his hand. But that is not the only way that God works. Often, in fact, there is a deeper and there is a more profound work of God in our lives. And it comes when it may look to us, and it may seem to us like nothing is happening. Nothing's going on. God isn't present. God couldn't possibly be working in this situation. In our waiting, and in our suffering, and in our groaning, when it feels like absolutely nothing is happening spiritually, 
God is at work in ways that we might not even be able to imagine. Now, now we see this in the experience of Zechariah. See, we, we read in, in verse uh, 57, the time comes for his baby boy to be born. And, and the neighbors and the relatives around of him and his wife Elizabeth share in their joy. They recognize God's great mercy and compassion to Elizabeth. But one verse is, is given, um, is it even a verse? Uh, yeah, one verse is given to the birth of, of, of this baby. And then a load of verses, a load of ink is spilt by Luke on Zechariah's experience. Uh, and it's all around the naming of this child and, and his circumcision on the eighth day according to their traditions. So people around would have assumed oh, he's going to be named after his dad. And so they are astonished when Elizabeth says, no, he needs to be called John. And then when Zechariah also confirms that by writing on the tablet, because you have to listen to a sermon a few weeks ago, he's been not able to speak for nine months. And so this child was named by God, and it is an act of faith and belief by Zechariah and Elizabeth to say, yeah, his name is John. This is who God says he is. This child is going to do what God says he will do. Well, this is a deeply significant moment for Zechariah, okay? The last thing that we heard from Zechariah's mouth was doubting. Back in uh, verse 18, uh, is it verse 18? Verse 18 of, of chapter 1, Zechariah said, when he heard this promise of God, how can I be sure of this? I don't believe this, God. I don't believe your words. And then we get to verse 64. The very next thing that comes out of his mouth, we read, is praises to God. His tongue is set free from nine months of silence, and he just erupts in praise of God. Now, what happened to Zechariah between that moment where he has a, a doubting and cynical and unbelieving heart to one that overflows in praise of God? What's saying one thing here and a completely different thing there. Now, you would think nothing. Nine months of silence, not being able to speak. Loads of time to think, waiting, suffering, groaning. I guess he probably could groan some sort. He couldn't speak, but he probably made some inaudible kind of, you know. He basically drops out the story altogether in between these two points. Mary and Elizabeth last week praising, glorifying God together. Zechariah nowhere to be seen. But in the silence and in the waiting and in the seeming nothingness of his life in that time, God was at work in his heart and in his soul. God was doing a powerful thing in Zechariah, leading him from doubt to faith, from cynicism to joy. There was a mighty powerful work of God going on when it looked like nothing was happening. This period of waiting and suffering to Zechariah, I imagine would have felt like God was far off. Nothing fruitful or productive happening here. Life just totally hindered by not being able to speak. Whole period of life just feels like wasted to him, I guess. And you imagine in his situation, it could have so easily led you to anger and bitterness with God, couldn't it? It could have led you into a deep depression and even a rejection of God and what he might be doing. But instead, it becomes a time of God's deep work in his soul. A time of work in his heart that bears a beautiful fruit in due course as he overflows in praise and joy to God. See, it turns out God can speak very powerfully in silence. As the prophet Elijah found all those years before. And this was a time for Zechariah of preparation and restoration. It was a time of personal renewal. Now, do you think Zechariah enjoyed what happened? Not a chance. Do you think he would change what happened? Not a chance. No way. 
God revolutionizes his life. And so when he can speak, he blesses and praises the name of God. And so, so the neighbors and the people around, they're not only sharing this joy, but verse 65 we read that they're filled with awe. Uh, and, um, and, and Zechariah and John become the talk of the town. People aren't only talking about it, but we read they're wondering about it, they're pondering, they're laying it up in their hearts. What then is this child going to be? We see the, the hand of the Lord is with him, this, this boy of Zechariah and Elizabeth's. You can imagine, can't you? I, well, I can imagine. Go with me on this. The, 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 the gossip spreading through the market. Did you hear about old Elizabeth and her baby boy? Miriam says she was told about being pregnant from an angel. Imagine it, a baby at her age. Unbelievable. People chatting at the well in the early evening. What about Zechariah? He was so shocked by this news. He's been speechless for nine months. You never guess what Matthew told me. Once they named the baby boy John, it's not a family name, do you know that? He started speaking again. He started blessing and praising the name of Yahweh. It just tumbled out of his mouth. They couldn't shut him up for a whole hour in the synagogue. He was just praising God around the dinner table in the evening. I don't know what's going on here. But something special is happening for sure. I wonder what God's plan is for this child. Is the day of the Lord coming soon? Round and round, people were talking and wondering and musing, reflecting. The excitement was palpable. What is God doing? What's going on here? And the expectations would soon be answered when John had grown up. For yes, the day of the Lord was coming, that long-promised day when God would come in power and might to defeat his enemies and to, to, to rescue his people once and for all. That day was coming. But you know, that day would greatly shock and surprise people as well. Because that day would not be what they were expecting or what they thought it would look like. For the day of the Lord is this. Jesus, John's baby cousin, this baby boy's little cousin, the son of God would be hung out to die on a cross on the day of the Lord's. And he would be waiting and suffering and groaning. And the most deafening and the most resounding silence in all of history and all of creation would sound out on that day and echo. Jesus would cry out in a loud voice from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his desperate cry would once and for once only in all of history be met with silence. Silence from heaven. This is the heaven that at the baptism of Jesus, a bit earlier in the story before his, before his cross, would erupt in pleasure and pride over him. This is my son. He's, he's beautiful. I love him. I delight in him. He brings me such pleasure and great delight. This is the heaven that always loves, that always delights in the perfect son of God. But this is the heaven that out of love for us and to rescue us remains silent in this moment. In that moment of sacrifice, in that moment of wrath, of righteous anger being poured out, the Father withdrew his, the pleasure of his presence from his eternal Son. And people looked on at that, and they thought, and they said, God's not working here. God's not with that man. There's nothing going on. This is a God-forsaken place, and that is a God-forsaken man hanging on the cross. But those people could not be further from the truth. He was God forsaken. 
But God was very present. And God was working very, very powerfully in that moment. In that moment, God was doing the greatest and the most profound work of all uh, in all eternal history. God was forsaking his own son to achieve eternal salvation for his people. In the silence, in the suffering, in the groaning, God is working. But this is why this is good news for you this morning. If today you are in a season of waiting, of suffering, of groaning, and if you're not, you will have been in the past and you sure will be in the future. If you're in that place where it seems like there is silence from God, God's not working, I'm seeing no growth, I'm seeing no progress, I can't see anything good going on here. In fact, there's just nothing happening, let alone anything good. Well, firstly, you are never forsaken by God. He never withdraws from you. Jesus took that one for you on the cross. But secondly, often in the waiting, often in what seems like the silence, in the darkness, it seems like nothing's happening, nothing's going on. That's where God does his most profound work in our souls. Often it's mysterious and it's unseen and we don't necessarily know what's going on at the time. It's, it's the work of God that we, we can't quite put our finger on. But your time of waiting and suffering and groaning can be fruitful for you if you will turn to God in it. If you will seek him in it. If you'll press more deeply into faith in him, you'll look to him for joy and life. If you'll, you'll bring it to him in prayer and in tears and in sorrow. Yet we're all eager to see growth, aren't we? We all want to see progress in life and, and we want to be encouraged by victories in our spiritual life and, uh, and we want to uh, praise God when th- those days come, but, but growth does not always and only come by our activity and our plans and, and things that we can see and determine or whatever and our, our ideas, but it often comes in the waiting and the suffering and the groaning. I'm saying it again and again, but it's so true. And there's a second thing that means this. That doesn't just equip us when we're in that place and we're going through that season, but also it might mean that sometimes we might step into something like that on purpose. We need a category and a value for seasons and moments of self-imposed waiting, of retreating from activity, of seemingly not being as effective because we're drawn into silence and prayer and retreat and, and stepping back from something rather than into something. That can be spiritually healthy for us. And often that can be a place in a way that God may do much more than we realize. You know, there's this, there's this feature of churches like ours, of, of evangelical Christianity, which is our activism, our, our busyness, our constant commitment to doing stuff and serving God's kingdom. And, uh, and that can be such a strength. And there's often so many re- good reasons for that, but it can also be a massive weakness. Other streams of the church have more space for contemplation and reflection and and stillness and quiet. They acknowledge and honor the vital place of silence and waiting and reflection and patience and prayer in a Christian life. And in some senses, sometimes we ought to do less, but actually far more, spiritually speaking. What might this look like for you to step into waiting and silence and stillness as spiritual discipline in your life? Well, maybe gospel family is a good place to work that out, but, but here's some ideas. In your daily routine, maybe it's going to stop for a few moments, not just to, to bring a list of requests and prayers to God, and God, this is what I want you to do today, and bless me in this and bless me in that, but just to sit quiet and still for a few moments and acknowledge God's presence with you. 
Or maybe in, in, in your weekly routine, you need to work harder to kill the idol of work and constant productivity and just squeezing the most out of every single moment and seconds. And commit yourself to a day of rest and shared worship as an expression outworking of your spiritual rest in Christ. Just saying no to work for one day. It's not going to be ruled by you. And then there's far more that's happening in and through that than we realize. Maybe in your yearly routine or through the kind of seasons of the years, having a high value for times of holiday, booking a family holiday. They're holy days, holidays are. Or, or seasons that are set aside in your life from time to time for prayer and fasting, rather than activity, or, or days or half days of, of spiritual retreat and refreshing, times of no agenda other than space to draw near to God and, and just prayerfully reflect on, on who he is and what he's doing in your life. God can do more than we ask or imagine in our times of waiting. He's got running the world. He's got running your life sorted. You don't need to sort that for him. He's got running this church sorted. We can leave it to him and we can be still and know that he is God's. That's what God can be doing in our waiting. Here's, here's the thing we see on the back of that is what you can do in your time of celebrating. And this is, this is Zechariah's song. Now, I guess what, I just, what we've just seen will really connect with some of us. But maybe for others, you're thinking, well, life's looking pretty good for me now, uh, right now. Thank you very much. I'm flying high. Life's never been better. I'm experiencing lots of blessings and encouragements. And I see God working. The question is, when you've got all you wanted in life, when all of your prayers are answered and all you ever hoped for is given to you and God fills your life up with spiritual blessings and good things, whether it's you get the relationship that you've been desiring or you've got financial security or, or your work life is good or family life is what you hope for, or you've got good health or you've got a, a good home situation, how do you respond to that and those things? Is that a moment to forget God? think you no longer need him because life's pretty good for me. Thank you very much now. Or, or maybe not, it's not so crass as all out rejecting God, but more likely for us, we get so consumed with the good things of life that the giver of every good and perfect gift just kind of gently recedes into the background of life and he slowly disappears from view as our life is just consumed by this stuff around us, these people around us. You see, in many ways, Zechariah went from waiting, didn't he? to getting all he ever wanted in life. All he hoped for is his life was filled up with good things. He had that incredibly rare privilege of going into the temple and, and burning the incense at the time of prayer. And now he's got this beloved son in his old age, this thing which he's long desired and, and sought after. And how does Zechariah respond to that? He recognized that as good as this is, as good as the blessings are, and the answered prayers may be, as good as life is for him in this moment, there is a bigger, there is a deeper, there is a greater reality of what God is doing and what God will do, and he puts his joy and his hope in that. He sees beyond the blessings and the good things around him to the deeper and greater things. So verse 67, like Elizabeth and his baby boy, he's the last one in his family to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he does so, he prophesies. He has this spiritual insight to see and proclaim the work of God in, in, in this moment. And as he prophesies, he recognizes and he realizes something deeper and bigger to praise God for and delight in. He says, God has come to his people. That's God coming, the whole purpose of God coming. The, the word there is, is to care and to look after. He pays attention to our plight and comes to, to care for and help in a time of need. And then, and then as the song unfolds, it just kind of, it just comes out of Zechariah's mouth and off his tongue. God comes to care to rescue his people, 
to save from their enemies and bring his people back to himself. He comes to reign over his people. A horn of salvation is raised up in David's family line. The, the horn represents the power and the strength and the beauty of an animal. And, uh, and so God is raising up a powerful king who will save. And he comes to remember in his great mercy, Zechariah says, he delivers on the promises he made to Abraham all those years ago. And finally, he comes to guarantee a response from his people to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah has all these great things going on, but he lifts up his vision higher and bigger from his own personal blessings and good things. And he sees and he puts his hope in the bigger and greater work of God in salvation. It captures his heart. See, Zechariah had spiritual insight to realize what he really needed. And so in his Song of Prophecy, he sings about it. John, Zechariah's son, we read here in, in the back end of this song that his job was going to be persuading people what they really needed to help prepare them for Jesus. Verse 76, we read he's going to have this role as, the, as, as, as a prophet of the Most High. And, and his role is to be to prepare the way for the Lord by giving the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sins. He's going to come and he's going to expand people's spiritual vision, see that God's salvation, the work that God is doing in the world and in their lives, is much bigger and is much better and much deeper than they had got to thinking. John's got to open their minds up so Jesus can then fill them, basically. People back then, you see, had got to thinking that their biggest problem, their truest, their truest enemies, were, were the Romans who were ruling over them. Or their poverty, or their lack of freedom and, and independence. But John's going to come and preach a message and say, you've got no idea, guys. Here's a message of repentance of sins. Your biggest problem before God are your sins. The true rescue you need is not from the Romans, but it's the forgiveness of your sins before the, 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 the almighty God's. Your true enemies are the world and the flesh and the devil, not the Romans. John's going to open up that for them. And it's it's a vital role because he's there to stop people from looking to the wrong stuff for their salvation and their life. And he's going to say, no, stop looking at those things and stop looking in those places, but come and look at Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Son of the Most High. That's still the work of preaching and prophesying in the church today. It's to help people to see, it's to help us see, to help you see that what you really need is Jesus. And how Jesus really does deliver for you in every situation and every time. Now, incidentally, before John got to that work uh, of ministry, he was going to enter into his own time of waiting, his own time of preparation, we read in, in verse 80, in the wilderness growing and becoming strong in the spirit, living in the wilderness with seemingly nothing going on, nothing happening, but the hidden, mysterious, and often unacknowledged work of God deep in his soul. Until, John, you're ready. You can publicly appear. Jesus is coming. It's funny, isn't it, how our vision and our hopes and our expectations can get all too small as well. How easily we forget what we really need in any situation. How we easily we forget what our true problems are and what salvation really is. We've been described like kids playing with mud pies in a slum when there is the beauty and the wonder of a beach with the sand and the sea and everything that's offered to us. 
We're far, too e- we're far too easily pleased of our ultimate hope for life and where we think we'll get true joy and life is in, is in a marriage or in, in a family unit or in finances or in success in our work or our career or in whatever pleasure we can get from the world around us or in comfort or in even just being healthy or in success or, or building a reputation or whatever else it is. Far too easily pleased, far too small a vision. Zechariah's vision had to be expanded and, and people's vision for a move of God in that day had to be expanded through the work of John the Baptist. And so too does our vision have to be expanded and our hopes need to be raised from the shifting shadows of, of stuff on this earth up to he who lives and reigns forever and ever to the most high gods. See, Zechariah models to us in this, in our victories, in our blessings, in the abundance of life and, and, and the good things that we can sometimes have and receive, and and if you're receiving them today, then praise God for that. But amidst those things, we're to have higher hopes. We're to have higher expectations. We're to have deeper thanks to God. These good things that we may receive and enjoy in life, they're to be like little, little crumbs that lead us back to him. Like a, like a trail of crumbs that lead us to the giver of every good and perfect gift. These good things are, are like little pocket torches. You can say, I've got a pocket torch, and I've put it, is it in the thing there? Okay, I've got a little torch, okay? And I was going to like flick it on at this point. Um, yeah, Michael Sankey is my phone, but I, yeah, anyway. I, anyway, um, they're, they're like little pocket torches that God uses to bless us, and they bring some, some relief into the darkness like a torch does. But a little torch is nothing on the bright, high, summer sun of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High. So if I, had a, if I was shining the torch here now, you'd see a little light, but like, it's nothing like what's going on up there, is it? The one who is the day spring, the sun of righteousness, the bright morning star and, and the light of the world. And so when he comes, it is the sun and it is the light from heaven that shines on us who live in the darkness of the shadow of death fumbling around to find light in our life, and he, he shines his light of life. And so he guides our feet into the path of peace and we know life and joy in him. Jesus comes to us in our good days. He comes to us in our blessings and in our victories, and he helps us see how we point us to him and all that he is and that he offers it's outrageous, actually, when he walks up to this wedding at Cana in Galilee, this, this, this happy couple's best day of their life, the most special day ever, right? And he comes and he joins with them and he blesses them with his presence uh, at their wedding. But more than that, he uses that wedding and what he does there to demonstrate to them and everyone else his glory, his life, that life to the full is in him and him alone. Jesus goes to the festivals of his day, the great celebrations, the, the Commonwealth Games type things that people celebrated, the, 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 the Jewish people went to, the religious high points. And he explains how those festivals find their fullness in him. So he goes to this festival of the tabernacles in Jerusalem and two big symbols there, water and light. And in that context, Jesus says, I, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink and you will never thirst again. And then he goes on to say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then most famously, of course, at the greatest Jewish feast, the Passover, Jesus sits down to the main event with his friends. 
And he explains how this bread of the Passover supper is a symbol of my body that's going to be broken for you. This, this cup of wine is, is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is all about me and what I offer to you and give to you. As great as you think Passover is, Jesus, I am better and I fulfill it. And so what we can do in our victories and in our good days and, and in a time of blessing, as I said before, we can, we can see that, let those things be a little trail that lead us back to God, like a, a, a trail of crumbs to God's grace, the one who gave and gives every good and perfect gift. Raise your vision, raise your expectation, raise your hope that you won't be satisfied with the things of earth, but your delight in the Son of Heaven and his salvation. If you've got good, secure income, praise God for that. That's, that's a great blessing, that he is our true security in life and death. If you've got a family around you, praise God. That's a blessing. That he is the true and faithful friend. If you enjoy the exhilaration of falling in love with someone, just remember that he is our heart's true delight. He is our joy. He is our true lover. As blessed as good health may be, the resurrection life that we have in him will one day bring physical renewal and rebirth to us. It's just beyond compare to any kind of health we could have in our body now. And as encouraged as you may be, or we may be to see growth in the church, it is his glory and it is his kingdom, and it's all for him. Jesus is present in our good days, not only our dark days. And these things are given that we might recognize, that we might proclaim how great he is, how great everything is that we have in him, and that we might honor him in our day of celebration as well as seek him out in our day of waiting. For he alone is worthy. He alone is better than everything and anything in every way. Let's just pray that it would be that for us, and then we're going to respond by singing together. Jesus, you, you are better than all things, and you have shown us how great and how deep your love is by your life and also your death for us. We, we thank you. We thank you that our times of, of, of trial and difficulty and waiting and suffering and groaning are not beyond your, your presence and your work. We thank you that our joy and our celebration and, 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 and the good blessings we have are not the fullness of life for us, but there is so much more in you. Help us, whatever our situation today, to know how to respond in faith as your people. Be present with us now, and would, we, would you be glorified in, in our hearts and our minds as, as we sing, as we share Lord's Supper, as we... As we go on together, Lord, would you be glorified, we pray. Amen.